Thank you for tuning in to episode 11 of Adversity University, and welcome to class. Hey everyone, this is Sean. Today's guest was Brittany Wilson, professional soccer goalkeeper. It was awesome to have her on. She grew up in Colorado, just like Sam and I did. And so we had a little bit of mutual perspective there. And I think that she had a lot of great opinions on the process. And she has her own podcast, which we talk about a little bit at the end. But she's learned a lot of the same lessons that we have, even though hockey and soccer are obviously so different. It was cool to see some universal themes and things that we want to teach you guys. She also hits on, which to me just kind of justifies that we're not just blowing smoke, you know, other people have the same feelings as us. And I hope that you guys can learn from her. And what did you guys think about the episode? Uh, I thought it was a good episode. Um, I love that she talks about the process and, she dived into the problems that, um, you know, people face in their homes on a regular basis. And we as regular people just don't know about it. Um, it was cool that I've been through some of those things so we can relate in that sense. And I kind of know what she's gone through. Obviously very accomplished going to Denver, now signing with your Orlando pride. Uh, not only in sports though, too, Denver has a great academic program. So good for her for, you know, graduating after those four years and, that's something that she'll have for the rest of her life that I can't stress enough for our younger listeners out there is get your education because at the end of the day, um, one of these days sports is going to come to an end and the only thing you're going to have to fall back on is that education. Yeah. And she talked about potentially even transferring away from Denver and uh, definitely get into that more in the podcast, but it was an interesting take from her and then you guys, uh, relating to her and your transfer stories and culture as well was a big topic of the episode. So there was a lot of good points. She's very well-spoken, has her own podcast and yeah, let's hop right into it. For all you listeners out there that don't know where Garrett and I began our hockey journey, it was with the Colorado Rampage where a list of other notable alumni also began their career as young student athletes. The Colorado Rampage AAA hockey program is currently accepting registrations for their tryouts and identification camps to find elite players and people looking to play AAA hockey and take their career to the next level. The Rampage play in the Tier 1 Elite League, which is one of the best AAA leagues in the country. This is where your players will get to showcase their skill in front of scouts for the best junior teams, colleges, and even professional teams in North America. We would encourage anyone between the ages of 12 and 18 who are looking for a place to develop and start their hockey career the same way we did to send an email to play AAA at coloradorampage.org to get more information. That's P-L-A-Y-A-A-A at C-O-R-A-M-P-A-G-E dot org. You can also visit their website at www.corampage.com. Be better today than you were yesterday and join the herd. Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode 11 of Adversity University. We're excited to have another female guest on the show. She is a very accomplished soccer goalkeeper. In 80 appearances for the University of Denver, she made 230 saves, had 25 shutouts, and 40 wins. She earned multiple Goalkeeper of the Year awards, also appearing on SportsCenter Top 10. Multiple calls to the U19 and U20 U.S. national teams. She recently signed with the Orlando Pride and the NWSL, being the only undrafted rookie to do so. Welcome to Adverse University, Brittany, uh, and thank you for joining us. Yeah, thank you. I'm really excited to be on this. So what were some of the best parts of growing up in Littleton, Colorado, and what <laughs> got you started in soccer at the age of five? 
Yeah. So obviously I started soccer super early. Um, you know, Littleton was a great place to grow up. And I was very fortunate that my parents put me in soccer so early. My mom always talks about it. And she's like, you know, they didn't have sports backgrounds, my mom and dad. Um, and I'm so grateful that they just sought out help. And they wanted me to be, you know, engaged in the sport as early as I could. And I just had so much energy. Um, and once I started, you know, I was I was competitive from the start. Like, I swear, I came, I came out of the womb extremely competitive and so it was a great way to just channel that um and soccer just I you know reflecting back now that I am where I am um I I feel I feel like soccer's just always been part of who I am um since the very beginning so you know all the all the good memories I have are memories with my team you know traveling across the country um memories with them just on the soccer field ever since we were three years old you know naming um our team what was it the sunflowers um so soccer's always been a big part of my life for sure who was your favorite player growing up yeah no so i think i think later in my career hope solo was a huge impact on me um i had her um poster in my room my whole life looked up to her a lot obviously she's always on the women's national team. I think that was the first time I ever realized, you know, I could make something out of this because those girls, like those women really paved the way for us to be able to play the sport professionally. I mean, without, without that group, um, it wasn't really a thing that most, you know, little girls could look up to and they, they would want to do. And so, um, she was the first that really made me believe that this is, you know, this is who I want to be. So, yeah. No, that's really cool. Um, and we were sending emails back and forth and obviously trying to get your story a little bit better, but you mentioned mm-hmm. you grew up in a tumultuous home um, and you were also surrounded mm-hmm. by alcoholism. How did this yeah. affect your childhood? Yeah. So, I mean, Adversity University, when I saw that your guys' podcast was named, I just loved the idea of it. And, you know, I, I truly think now that I've, my, I've personally got to interview a ton of athletes and now that I'm in this environment that I'm in, you know, I, I don't think people grow without these struggles. I don't think, you know, there's opportunity for growth without incredible pain and even suffering in some instances, depending on how, you know, you categorize that. And so, yeah, I mean, I grew up in, like I, like I said earlier, I was so, so fortunate to be able to play soccer, you know? Um, as you guys know, sports aren't cheap, you know, sports aren't inexpensive. And I was so fortunate to have a family that could provide for that. You know, they provided for everything I wanted. They made a lot of sacrifices um, to be able to put me in sports and, and have that be my outlet. But obviously, like anyone and any family, there are issues. Um, and yeah, my household was very tumultuous, tumultuous growing up. I can type that word. I can't say it always. But um <laughs> Yeah, it was tough. It was tough. And, you know, it was hard seeing, you know, I, I've been open and honest about this on my podcast. And my mom is my rock. She's my favorite person in the world. But, you know, she struggled so much with alcoholism. And she had her own battle. She had her own adversity in her life, just far beyond anything that I could even understand or that I could process. And so that's kind of what she leaned into. Um, when all this stuff was happening in her life and it was just so hard to see her go through that 
um, and other circumstances, you know, within my household at witnessing abuse and that addiction, you know, it's what I thought was normal. Um, and obviously, like I said earlier, I don't think anyone's life is perfect. No one's life is perfect, but I obviously didn't realize how my situation was impacting myself and my sister and just everybody in the situation. And, you know, there was a point where, you know, me and my sister were looking at my mom, not knowing if she was going to survive the night. And I'm so, so glad and lucky and hopeful that she is recovering and that she is strong and she's getting through it. But it's, it's so hard to see someone you love going through that because there's just so much that you can't control. But um, again, I think this made me so much stronger and just how I, you know, dove into soccer and continued to work on that through this and use that as my outlet um, for all the emotions and the pain that I was feeling during that time. Um, so I think it was really something that helped me along the way and just helped me realize like the pain that people do go through in their lives as well. Yeah, it's cool because you can, you know, learning through that tough experience, you can learn to relate to others and the problems they go through. And yeah. um, alcoholism kind of runs in my family. My mom's uh, father mm -hmm. and mother both had it and both died from it. Uh, my brother, Skyler, who's uh, three and a half years older uh, than me, suffered from alcoholism for a while. He's actually, I think, two years sober now. Um, mm -hmm. So it's been cool to watch that process and him go through that and just it's crazy though, because he's a completely different person than when he was drinking than when he's sober. Like he was really hard to be around when he was not sober. And now like, I love talking to him on the phone. Like he's just really blossoming and totally transforming into a person that's relatable and respectable. And it's just crazy to go through. But yeah, like you mentioned, you can really relate mm -hmm. and see how other people have problems. That's super, that's super encouraging to hear. And, you know, I feel the exact same way. We've had that conversation like she is the best person in the world and like the most fun and you know just most exciting person to be around when she's her and you know it, it's a crazy thing but alcohol really just does tear apart so much but um one thing I do want to say with that is like you were explaining somebody you know blossoming and coming out of that and so was I but for anybody that might be going through it as well like it's an everyday battle, whether it's you or whether it's a family member or something like that. Like it's not this uphill. I decided to get better and they're going to be completely uphill all the time. Like it's messy, you know, just like life. It's so, so messy, but just hold on to the hope and keep encouraging them because you know, it's worth it in the end. For sure. Yeah. So you had your own struggles as well. In high school, mm -hmm. you suffered from an eating disorder, which is something many men and women go through, unfortunately. Yeah. Do you think your surroundings at home led to this and how did you overcome this? Yeah. So I think there are a lot of factors that went into this, obviously, you know, I've been trying to process a lot with, you know, sports psychologists and, um, and working on this as well. But I, I just think, you know, a lot of athletes, not even just female athletes, male and female athletes go through this, um, especially just because there's a certain way that you think you should look for your sport or that you should you know, be to perform. And it's just not always true. Um, you know, I, <laughs> I was looking at these pictures the other day from, um, I asked my dad to send me some old soccer pictures. And people are always asking me, like, why'd you become a goalie? And he sent this picture and I was like, the, the, 
younger girls on my team were, I think, you know, a foot shorter than me. And I was just, you know, strong and big, young age. And I was looking at these pictures, I was like, I am strong, and I am tall, but I am not like unhealthy at all. But the way I viewed myself, because I was so much bigger than these girls, and I was always surrounded by these soccer players who were running all over the field, you know, I was looking at myself like, oh, I'm not worthy of being an athlete. I'm not good enough, you know. So I looked at my body and I tried to control it in, in those ways and it became super unhealthy. And then another thing I think, you know, that played into it was just the lack of control I felt in my home. Like I said, there was a lot of things going on there that um, were just kind of tearing me apart emotionally. And I think I look to control everything I possibly could with that. And so that was one thing I was like, okay, I can control this. I was like just seeking control in any way I could, even if it was super harmful to me. Um, but like I said earlier, I've been processing it with sports psychologists, um, going to counseling and stuff. And just for anybody, you know, who, who has dealt with those things, I think it's really important for me too, that I realize it's okay to go seek help. And it's okay to recognize that these things do happen and that you can deal with them in positive ways. Um, so I do think also, you know, it, it turned me into somebody who takes care of their body even more because I, you know, teared it apart in those ways. And I, you know, tried to control it in those ways. But now I, I look at food, I look at nutrition, I look at my sport and how my body is helping me compete at so much of a higher level of importance than how, you know, I just looked at my body image when I was that age and tried to control those things. So. Yeah. And you mentioned with, you know, alcoholism, how it's an everyday battle. Um, mm. I won't mention who, but I had a family member who uh, dealt with eating disorders and I didn't mm. really get it at the time. Cause I would look at that person and kind of like you said, you know, whether you're bigger or smaller, you see yourself in the complete opposite form. So yeah. it was really hard for me to digest. But even to this day, um, that person in my family fights with that every single day. Mm, um, yeah. And she sees, uh, you know, counselors and um, has other things that she goes through too. But uh, it's been a crazy battle for her. But kind of like yeah. my brother's so proud um, of everything that she's overcome. And obviously, it's a, a battle every single day. And, um, you know, for those out there that struggle with that, just keep fighting. Yeah. Yeah. And for any little girls or boys that, that watch this and, um, are, are going through the same thing, you know, I, I'm going to admit, like, I still, I still struggle with working on how I perceive myself and how I deal with those things every single day. Like it doesn't just go away. These things don't magically disappear. I feel like we're finding a common theme with all the things we're talking about, but it's just an everyday process. You have to continue to work on it and just try to find your strength in, in positive things as well. One of the things that we really talk about a lot is not comparing yourself to others. And it's really hard to do, especially with today's social media. You see all of these, you know, really attractive, really fit, really successful people all the time. And something Garrett always points out is how it's just so fake. Like nobody goes and posts on Instagram, like, Hey, I just got fired today. You know, no. <laughs> yeah, they totally. don't talk about the struggles and they don't talk about the hard times. So when mm -hmm. you're looking at these other people and like judging yourself and comparing yourself, it's really not even a fair comparison because no. that's them at their absolute best with filters and, you know, mm -hmm. even fake positivity. And you usually are down on yourself at your worst times. Mm -hmm. So something that 
you just really can never do is compare yourself to others because you'll never be that person and they'll never be you. So you just have to try and be your best self every day. Yeah, that's a huge topic, honestly. And that's something, you know, I don't know if you guys like TikTok, but I'm loving it. I don't do the dances, just so you know. I help people with like soccer advice. Um, but I've noticed that a ton on TikTok and I've been, you know, I have, I think, you know, 90% of my followers are little soccer players, little girls. And I've been thinking about the images that they're seeing every single day on this app. And just, you know, like very, whatever, whatever it may be. And, And I was just thinking about you know, if I was younger and I had TikTok and I had Instagram where people are getting even better at morphing and changing their bodies into these absolutely absurd standards that aren't even real or humanly possible, it would be so hard to see every single day. And so that's another thing like I try to stand up for with my platform is just trying to be as real and raw as I can with these young men and women about, you know, not comparing yourself, like you said, but also, you know, valuing yourself at a higher standard than just the image. Yeah, oh, I love the that. image is like, it's the best take as well. So you bring up how young athletes are watching other young athletes on like TikTok mm-hmm. or whatever. You don't know how many takes it took them to hit that perfect shot, right? Oh yeah. So if you're going yeah. out there like, oh my God, they hit this shot and it takes you, you know, 50 100 tries like who cares who knows how long they practiced it and how many Mm -hmm. takes it took right so totally totally yeah i love that though and i feel like that's uh holding yourself accountable which i feel like it's really hard for a lot of people to do they don't look at it realistically and um yeah i feel like a lot of times we try to hold others accountable but we don't look at what we're doing and we don't hold ourselves Mm. accountable first so it's really hard to hold others accountable when you don't hold yourself to that same standard Um, Yeah. Yeah, no. And it's hard to do. It's hard to do because we want to come off, you know, I want to come off like everybody loves me on social media. I want to be super pretty and like the peak of my athletic career. Like that's how I would want to come off. But also I have to look in the mirror and be like, if I'm using this platform to try and better other people's lives too, not just show off about myself, if I want to really help other people and other girls looking to do the same thing I did, or, you know, even, even other boys looking to chase their own careers, then I can't just project, project this image of that I know is not real. And so it's hard to do. Like, I think everybody wants their highlights on there, um, of course, but, you know, it's a good to check yourself every once in a while, like you were talking about. Yeah. Well, it's cool that you're, you know, you talk about your troubles and while dealing with your troubles at home, you know, with your, your family, but also your own personal troubles. Um, as you mentioned, you use soccer as an outlet. Um, you really mm-hmm. excelled and eventually landed on the University of Denver's Division One women's soccer team. What emotions did you go through when you committed to your hometown team? Yeah, so it's it's kind of a funny story. The rules are changed now, so you can't do this anymore. But I committed when I was a freshman in high school, and so it was oh, wow. super early. It was actually my second college visit. Um, I visited CU Boulder, and I visited Denver. And when I visited Denver, it just it seems like home, you know. It seems like the coaches genuinely cared about developing developing me as a player, and they saw my goals. Like at that time, I was already committed to playing at the next level. Um, even before I committed to play D1 soccer, like I had that dream 
Um, and I kept that dream throughout college, which I think, you know, um, helped me get to where I am today. But yeah, when I committed, it was just based on, you know, my parents, like I said, they weren't athletes. They hadn't been through the recruiting process. I hadn't been through the recruiting process. I remember sitting at the lunch table when I was a freshman in high school, like bawling because I didn't know what I wanted to major in because all these schools I was looking in were like asking. And I was like, I don't know what I want to do with my life. I just came out of middle school. Like, how am I supposed to know this? Um, and so when I committed, you know, it was a hometown school. I never thought I was going to go play in Denver. Um, you know, I had obviously everybody, every girl's uh, female soccer players list, North Carolina, Stanford, all those things. But um, I just really thought it was a good fit. And then so when I finally committed, I was super excited. Um, but obviously, <laughs> the college experience was way different than I anticipated. But overall, I'm so, so glad that I did choose Denver. Um, I think it really set me up for a lot of success for sure. You briefly foreshadowed it there. But um, as a goaltender, there's only one spot yeah. in the starting lineup. And freshmen are rarely granted such a large role, but yeah. you had a very successful freshman year. We started nine out of 19 games and played in the second half of the other 10 games. Mm-hmm. However, you were thinking about transferring from Denver. What was your mm-hmm. thought process um, from leaving what was on paper a very good situation? Yeah. So obviously that was one of my thoughts when committing to Denver. Um, I wanted to play because I knew if I got minutes, I would improve and I could make it to the next level. Um, I've touched on it a little bit, but I, I got invited to the national team when I was younger. And so, you know, all those girls were committed to, like I mentioned before, you know, Stanford, UCLA, North Carolina. Um, and so, but I was still committed to Denver. And at the time when I committed, they were a top 16 school. Um, and there was a girl playing there who now plays in the NWSL for the North Carolina Courage, Kristen Hamilton. She was the first ever out of University of Denver to play in the NWSL. So she was like the leader of it all. Before that, there had been, um, not that I know of, I, I, there might have been more, but I, she kind of was the first to kind of make it a career. And so, you know, after my first year, I, you know, like you said, I played a lot. I got to start towards the end. I earned that starting spot towards the end. But um, like I said before, it was just not exactly what I expected. And I wanted to be in a place where I felt like I was being pushed and the others around me, you know, were pushing me to reach my highest potential. And I just felt like the culture at that time, you know, took a little bit of a hit um, just with some things that happened and some players that were involved. Um, And so the culture just, I felt like it wasn't going to push me to that next level. And so, you know, I was very, very much contemplating transferring, but I decided to stick it out. And, um, and I'm so glad I did because, you know, I, I wanted to become a leader on this team and I had so much to learn about leadership. Um, Everybody wants the leadership role, but you know, they don't know how much work that's really going to take. And I, I always say this, but I think being a captain on the University of Denver's team, um, you know, changed me way more than it changed anybody else um, because there was just so much to learn about, you know, how you interact with your teammates, how this one person reacts to criticism, how, you know, on and off the field stuff, just there's, there's an endless amount of things to learn about leadership that I have still yet to learn. 
but it, it totally transformed me as a person. And, you know, I was committed to Denver and I was committed to helping turn the culture around. And uh, me and another captain, her name's Cheyenne Short, she also got drafted. This is a crazy story. She got drafted by Orlando this year. I was undrafted, but got picked up by Orlando this year. And this week we both beat out positions and won um, a contract this year at Orlando. And so it's just like a testament to her character. And then just us as leaders there, I, I feel like we fed off each other because we had so many different values and opinions and we were just very different people, but we learned so much from each other that, you know, I think it helped us both grow at the end of the day. That's cool. And I love that you mentioned uh, culture because me and Sean obviously yeah. played division one and, you know, Sam's played hockey at high levels too, but the thing about culture is it's either a positive environment or it's poisonous and mm -hmm. it's, it, it, you can't really control what ways it goes in a lot of times, because if you're one person trying to push the culture in one direction, yeah. you need a lot of people pushing in that same direction. Um, and I've been yeah. fortunate enough to play for, you know, a lot of teams that had great culture and some teams that have had bad culture. And I was kind of the opposite side of the coin from you. So when I transferred from Lowell, to be honest, the culture of the team was very good. Like everyone respected our coaches. Everyone respected our captains. We all worked hard for each other. Um, but at the end of the day, I didn't feel that I was treated very well by our coaching staff. Um, and I ended up going through transferring. Um, and it was a hard process because you've worked so hard to get somewhere in your life. And then when you decide to leave, like you don't know if you're going to get that same opportunity again. And I was yeah. very fortunate to get another, you know, another division one team interested in me. Um, mm -hmm. And I'm actually going through the transferring process again. Sean loves to make fun of me because I'll be going to my third school in five years if the NCAA deems me eligible. But oh special achievement, G. Yeah. <laughs> I guess not many people have done it, but um, it's just cool to see the other side of the coin because I actually went through it. But uh, just the whole thought process and going into it, there's a lot you have to think about when transferring. Oh, yeah, that's I feel like that's a whole podcast in itself, <laughs> just like the the challenges of transferring, because it's such an emotional process, but there's so many things that go into it. I mean, I and I think a lot more, a lot more athletes than I think or anybody thinks, you know, do go through that um, and do do have those feelings of wanting to transfer. So I want to go back really quickly and touch on what you guys were talking about with culture and how if it either way, if you're on the outside of it you're an outlier and people kind of stay away from you and maybe even start to not like you. So when you're in a positive culture and you're not working hard, people start to get away from you and they don't like you, which it just yeah. elevates you. It forces you to work hard to even just fit in. And when you're in a negative culture, working hard and doing extra can literally lose you respect. It, yeah. it makes no sense, but culture is such a huge thing. And it really needs to be going the right way for successful teams. Oh my gosh. That's seriously, that's such a great point because I mean, you both, you, it's, it's so hard to try to drive culture by yourself. And that's why one leader with even a leadership position will never drive the culture. It has to be a collective thing. And I totally resonate with what you're saying. Like I remember somebody telling me and this, uh, you know, this person who's a men's soccer player went to go on and play pro. He told me that one of his, uh, one of my, mates came up to him and said who does Brittany think she is doing all this extra work and that's when the culture was bad so you're I was actually getting made fun of by upperclassmen 
for putting in extra work and, and doing, you know, things that I thought were going to better myself and the team. And so, yeah, it, it's really hard, but it needs to be everybody. I've, I've been on that side of the coin too, and we won't dive into it. So I don't get too fired up about it. Um, <laughs> yeah. You mentioned, huh. you mentioned that you've had numerous call-ups, the U S women's national team during one of the call-ups, you failed all of the fitness tests. How did yeah. you transform this failure to <laughs> drive, you know, future success? Yeah, it was crazy. I mean, I finally got my call up. I was so excited to be there. You know, it's a once in a lifetime opportunity. And I had just been playing, you know, I just had been playing in goal. I didn't focus on all the things. I didn't work on my nutrition. I didn't work on my fitness. I didn't even know those things were necessarily important. So I showed up to this camp thinking I was going to crush it because I was like, oh, I'm still athlete. Like, it'll be fine. Failed these tests. And at the end of this week-long camp, I sat down with the goalkeeper coach. He's like, you need to figure this out. And I was just so embarrassed and, you know, upset with myself that I didn't realize all, like, the importance of all of these things. So on, before my flight home in the hotel, um, before my flight home after camp, I called my college coaches. And I was committed to Denver at the time. I was still in high school. But I was committed to Denver, and I called them. And had them set me up with somebody to start working. And I went to work that week. And uh, basically, I just worked my ass off. I did as much as I possibly could um, and made that my goal just to focus on all the little, little things, you know, fitness, um, sleep, all these different things. And um, in college, you know, I made it a game to always beat the field players in fitness. They'd attest to this. Like I would get the highest beep test scores every year just because like I went through that and I saw like how embarrassing that was and I came out of it way stronger. But yeah, it was uh it was a tough situation during that time, but now I'm definitely obsessed with it. <laughs> during your senior year at Denver, your team unfortunately lost in the conference tournament. After the season was over, you had ambitions of playing professionally but you weren't drafted. Can you take us through the process from the draft to finding a way to sign with the Orlando pride? Yeah. So, um, you know, after, after the season ended, I had no idea what I was going to do. I, I was, you know, my, my goal was to play professional soccer, but I didn't know, um, you know, if coaches were going to take me seriously. I wasn't a national champion. I wasn't, um, you know, an all American, any of these things. And so with help of coaches, I created a CV, I created film and just kind of send it out there and wish for the best. Um, and I was lucky to create a lot of connections through, you know, just coaches and even on my podcast created connections that ended up, um, knowing coaches in the league, which was so helpful. Um, I think that's so important. Um, you don't, you don't see that side of it often, but it definitely plays a role. Um, but anyways, when I entered into the draft, um, I just, I didn't know it was going to happen. You know, the, I trained during the draft. I had the, uh, my phone on like speakerphone. And while I was, uh, training, I was like hearing the draft picks go by, go by. And finally the fourth round hit and the Orlando pride coach called me and he said that they were trying to trade draft picks to get me drafted in the last round. So I was hanging on, hanging on. Orlando had the last draft pick, the 30th. 30th draft pick and I was waiting and I was waiting and it wasn't me and I was devastated um but soon after that Orlando called me and then one other team in the league called me and said they were picking up my rights as like a discovery player which means they had the first right to offer me a contract and just the way it worked I ended up with the pride but I was so excited and then 
from then on, then on until this last week, what it's June now. Um, and that was in January. I had no idea if I was going to get signed. I had no idea what was going to happen. And so I've just been in this up and down life of uncertainty, uncertainty later, but just try to control all that I possibly could and work as hard as I possibly could. And, you know, I got signed. So um, it was a crazy journey, but I'm, I'm really thankful for how hard it was because I think it set me up for the roller coaster ride that is professional sports. So. Congratulations on signing. And I love uh, controlling you. the controllables. Me and Sean mentioned that all the time. I think that's something that we both try to live by every single day. Um, oh, and we didn't, we didn't learn that. It, it took a while for us to both learn that, you know, throughout our process, mm-hmm. we, we slowly learned to control what you can control and forget yeah. about the rest. I love your mindset on that last question of how you're happy that it wasn't easy. A lot of people think that it's like, Oh, I wish I was a draft pick. Oh, I wish that things just came to me. And that's not mm-hmm. the way real life is. So no. another thing that we want to tell people that f- what we've learned from our experience and clearly you have too, is that uh, Garrett's goalie coach, Mark Sample says this all the time. It's the struggle mm-hmm. that makes us great. And the fact that you had to work harder to get where you're at, it's going to make you appreciate that spot more. And they're going to work harder while you're there. It's just going to be a domino yeah. effect of continued success. So, yeah, no, I agree. And I think, I think it's funny because you're so right. I feel like, you know, a lot of people would want to be the draft first overall draft pick. And, you know, I wouldn't mind that, but also I feel like it's just as cool or, you know, super cool to be the only person on this team that was undrafted, you know, because that means like I had to prove something and I did it. You know, and I just take pride in that. Like, I love having to learn something new every day. I love having to kind of struggle through something to get where I want to be. And I feel like just that sentence, you know, that was the first thing I read when somebody posted about, you know, the rookies and um, who got signed. And I was proud of that. You know, I don't, I didn't think that was embarrassing at all. I feel like maybe some people would look at that as like, oh, you're undrafted. That's embarrassing. But I was so proud of that headliner, you know. so yeah, I totally agree with that. Yeah, that's something to be proud of for sure. Um, and then talking about it now, like I mentioned, we're going through one of the craziest times ever right now with um, the coronavirus. Can you explain the current situation with the Orlando Pride staying out of competition? Yeah, so um, it was the day after I got signed. Um, we were preparing. We were going to leave Wednesday, which is tomorrow, I believe. We were going to leave tomorrow morning. And um we had our last round of our second to last round of COVID testing on Sunday. Um, so throughout Monday, you know, we're waiting on the results. They schedule a team meeting and turns out um, it's released that six players and I believe four staff members, don't quote me on that, have um, COVID on our team and we wouldn't be able to field a team. And so um, we, voluntarily dropped out of the tournament and we will not be competing and so like it's still super raw for me like I'm super heartbroken about it I'm I'm heartbroken for myself because like we just talked about for six plus months I've just been working as hard as I could to earn this spot and to play on this team and I was set up to you know possibly be able to make an impact in this tournament Um, And seeing that just all fall away is super hard, but I'm also heartbroken for a lot of the teammates and the veterans and, 
you know, the families, there, there are girls with families on this team with babies at home, obviously coaches with families. Um, so it's just a hard time. Uh, I just think this whole year is unbelievable and something it's something none of us have ever lived through. And so it's hard to compare it to anything or to rationalize any feelings that you're having. Um, but you know, I'm glad the NDPSL tried to make something happen and that they're still going to make something happen. And I wish the best of luck to all the teams still competing in it. Um, obviously I wish we were one of them and it's super heartbreaking to be the team that's not going, but, um, you know, there's a plan and we're going to be back from this and it's, it's going to be good. So. Yeah. It's a frustrating reality that we're in right now. I know personally, I was hoping to sign professionally at the end of my senior year, which just ended a couple months ago and COVID shut down all the leagues. And now that the NHL is trying to finish their playoffs, I won't be able to sign a contract until the next season begins. So instead of signing, you know, that year is supposed to begin in October. Now, if they run playoffs through, you know, October, they're going to need a break between winning the Stanley cup and starting the next year. So I might be waiting until January. So uh, we're in similar positions here about to take on professional sports after our collegiate careers. How do you plan to elevate your performance and take on the next level? Yeah, it's hard. Like I never would have imagined this year would go this way. And for it to be, you know, our rookie season, like (laughs) there's already so many unknowns and um, just things you don't know in a rookie season. And then to have this on top of it, like, it's just crazy. So I feel for you too, but, um, I think I learned a lot, you know, when, when this whole thing popped up and our operations were shut, shut down, I think it was, it was a week after our first week of preseason and, um, the non-contracted players at the time were sent home. And so I was back in Colorado. Um, I was back for like a couple months. I thought it was going to be a week. I thought it was going to be a couple weeks and I was back for months until we were back. And so during that time, you know, we were limited, obviously wasn't in team training. And um, I think it was a really good opportunity to work on things that I had maybe not neglected, but not had the time to focus in on before. And so I tried to look at it as a time to reflect on like what's missing from my game and maybe not even in a physical way, but what's missing, you know, am I really giving all I can with visualization or you know, even just mobilization, um, recovering, all this different kind of stuff. So I think during the time and with the help of the pride too, we stayed super connected. I just like learned a ton of tools to use outside of the field. And then, you know, just did all that I could during that time. And so I feel like that's going to go into this time as well. Like who no one knows when we're going to go back to full competition. And so with that large time of, um, you know, unknown time, large amount of unknown time. It's so hard to stay motivated, I think. And, um, just, you know, want to continue to work towards something because it's nice to see a light at the end of the tunnel and be like, okay, I'm working for my season, which starts in August right now. I don't know when the next time our, our league is going to be back up. It could be next June. And that's the same with what you just described. And so I think, you know, this is a time to really, it, it kind of tests people to see if they're really motivated in, in this for the right reasons, because it's not easy to stay motivated, but there are definitely things that you can do every single day. You know, even if you're in quarantine, things you can do every single day to 
um, improve your game, whether that's, you know, like I mentioned, mental training, um, mobility work, sleep, working on your sleep, you know, just a lot of tools that you can, you know, add to your toolbox during this time. I like that you mentioned uh, that no one in a lot of sports, no one their seasons are going to start. And to be honest, I think it's going to weed out a lot of kids that may think they want to do it, but don't really want to do it because obviously in the NHL and more of the higher level professionals are like, okay, we're going to start in two months, but maybe in college or the younger sports are like, Hey, we're starting in two weeks and you better be ready. Or, you know, we're doing training camp in two weeks. And then you show up in front of all your teammates and your coaches, and they can see that you haven't been putting in the work. Um, And as someone, you know, your teammates would be frustrated with you. Your coach would be frustrated with you. And to be honest, it's embarrassing. When you show up and fail and stuff like that, and we talked about you being there, it is embarrassing. Oh, totally. No, and I think another layer to that too is that there's so much unknown, but I think in the pro environment as well, like it's expected that everybody's ready. But what I've experienced too is it's it's really hard for people my age and rookies because, you know, some of the more veteran players, you know, they've been here for a while. They have bigger contracts. They have more sponsors set up. You know, we're, we're uh, you know, you eat what you kill right now and there's not a lot of options. And so it's hard to almost financially survive right now. So that's another thing for rookies. It's like, where am I going to get my opportunity? How long can I survive um, waking up every day and, and getting to play the sport I love, but not making any money? Um, I think that's another really tough reality that a lot of people are going to have to face. Yeah, I agree. And going through the adversities that you did, um, what is some advice you would give to any young female athletes or male athletes aspiring to play Division One or professional sports? I think the advice I'd give is just to continuing to believe in yourself and your process and know that it's not going to be a clear path to success and that you're going to have times where you doubt yourself. You're going to have times where you don't think that you can do it, but if you continue to push through and you have a very clear, clear vision about what you want to do and, and what you want to create in your life, and you're willing to make the sacrifices to do it, you will get there, but you have to be willing to make the sacrifices and to, again, like learn from all the adversity that you go through. Um, but you can't beat someone who doesn't stop. It's a good point. So, yeah. And before we forget, you also have a podcast. Can you tell yeah. you know everybody what the name of your podcast is and what that's about? Yeah. So I started this a little bit over a year ago. It's called before the lights podcast. Um, it's true stories behind high performance. So it's a little bit of a similar setup as Adversity University. I know you guys are interviewing outside of the athlete community, but um, the idea behind starting Before the Lights was just to speak on the obstacles and the hardships that athletes have gone through to get where they are today. And like I spoke on earlier, everybody's path is messy and everybody's life you know, comes with so many hardships, but I think that's what creates people to, um, you know, and pushes them to greater heights. And so I believe in just like the power of stories and just listening to somebody's story and how they got to where they are today. And, and if one person resonates with one thing that, you know, you or I have to say, then, then we help people. And, and that's the idea. And so I think, I think my passion is definitely helping people reach 
their hype and and using the stories of people they look up to to do that. So we've had some great podcast um, interviewees, you know, Mal Pugh from the national team, Tim Howard from the men's national team in Everton, um, NFL players, CrossFit champions, all this different stuff. And so um, I'd love if you guys gave that a listen too, but I'm super stoked about Adversity University. And I think you guys are doing something super special here. So, yeah. Thank you so much. Obviously, yeah. sounds like we have a lot of the same ideas and goals for our podcast. We say that too. Like if we can help one person, it's going to make this all yeah. worth it at the end of the day. So we can't thank mm-hmm. you enough for coming on and sharing some of your story. I'm sure it was fun to be on the other side of the yeah. interview here for once. Um, I know it's so much. Yeah. Honestly, your job is so stressful when you have to come up with all the questions. You're like, Oh my gosh, I hope I don't. <laughs> yeah. But we're looking forward to watching your career and hopefully you can make some noise as an undrafted player and really change the way that, you know, coaches and staffs look at undrafted players, really open the door. Totally. Yeah. Thank you so much. I'm excited about the opportunity and I was so, you know, grateful to be on this podcast with you guys.